Welcome to the Final Frontier, the Star Trek fan film podcast. Uh, this is a Treksphere production, and we are coming at you with Season 2. Hello to our fearless leader and the guy behind all of this, Adam Mullen. Hello. And our special guest this week, the man, the myth, the mystery, the legend, the guy with a really nice shirt, Vernon ah. Vincent. Hello. Thank you for inviting me to be on here today. It's it's. Uh, I'm waiting to figure out if it's an honor yet. Uh, <laughs> You'll find out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, how about we get started with the news? The big thing everyone's discussing is, of course, uh, Picard returning. Uh, how do we feel about this? I'm holding Who my was... breath. Okay, yeah. Vernon? Yeah, as with all things, it's going to be how it's uh, how it's done, you know. Uh, you know, Patrick Stewart can class up anything. He, he could have classed up Jar Jar Binks, so... Um, I, it's, it's going to be a question of, you know, whether or not the script is worthy of his time and ours, but I, yeah. I don't think in and of itself, having him involved is going to be a bad thing at yeah. all. He's, yeah. he's going to make a good series, but I'm still worried that it's going to end up being like, uh, last year when MGM announced they were doing their Stargate online Origins. experience yeah. Yeah. and they're announcing a new Stargate series. And what did we get? We got ten little ten-minute webisodes that strung together yeah. to basically make one freaking movie, and it yeah. was a prequel movie that didn't give us anything new. And well, yeah, Patrick Stewart's uh, there, so he'll make it good. But if they're gonna bait and switch us like that, I'm gonna be like, Arr! right, right. I've se I've seen the um, Battlestar Galactica way back when did something similar with uh, Blood and Chrome, which was a uh, like ten-minute webisodes that they ended up stitching together into a a movie, and that was actually you know pretty decent. It's Battlestar Galactica, but yeah, but, I've also but, seen but, it done pretty horribly. But they didn't try to sell that as a new series. That's the thing. No, they, they, they told you what you were getting. And yeah. They haven't said full-length series yet. They haven't said much. So part of me is worried that I mean, yeah, they're bringing Patrick Stewart in. He's going to make it a great webisode series but it's if it's webisodes i'm just going to be crying yeah but what i read was that it would be um ongoing so to me i take that as an actual series like discovery here's hoping knock on wood yeah <laughs> and uh you you said origins didn't add anything i i disagree i think they tied in the original film and sg1 really well they they took things from both and then they blended them together because SG-1 doesn't always line up with what we saw in the original Stargate film, but they took both and they put them together really nicely and it made sense. I don't want to give spoilers away in case, you know, people haven't seen it, but I actually enjoyed Origins for what it was. Different franchise from Star Trek, but there you go. I, I, I liked it for what it was, but I just really wish they would have been honest about what it was instead of just yeah. saying, it's a new series. And, I mean, there's one thing still missing, and it was missing from the movie, and they never got into it in the series, and I still want to see it. I think it was the director's cut of the original Stargate movie. They had that fossil on the wall that they also found with the gate, and it's this freakish, monstrous thing. 
thing. Yeah. An alien thing. And yeah. we have never seen it. They get well, to the planet, go. and it's the, the, the bad guys are humans in, in helmets. Yeah. Where, where's the, the thing that left that skeleton? That's what I want them to do. <laughs> there, there's a pitch for, uh, for their next uh, little web series, because I'm sure they'll be doing more. So, um, also in the news, they've announced the names of two series, one of which is possibly the name of uh, the Patrick Stewart show, but nobody's for sure which one is which. Uh, the, the names for the two new series is, is, is in development. Uh, Star Trek Reliant and uh, Star Trek... Uh, what's the Destiny. Other one? Destiny. I was going to yeah. say Discovery. It's like, wait a minute, that's not right. <laughs> I know it's a D word. Um, and I do like their plan. All Trek all the time. You'll get the little 13-episode season of Discovery, and that'll be followed by a 13-episode season of another show followed by a 13-episode season of another show. It's going to be interesting to see if they're doing tie-ins or if they're just trying to make up for the yeah. fact that modern TV doesn't run a 26-episode season anymore. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm a little concerned about all that. It's, 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 it's like they're turning it into even more of a mass market. So they're, they're trying to glut the market with all kinds of Trek episodes. And you know, it's almost like they're trying to be Netflix where they've got all of these original series programming on there. And I'm, I'm just, you know, the, there's only so much quality I think Paramount can put out. And they're yeah. spreading it out instead of concentrating it. Well, I'm, I, I'm optimistic. I mean, um, I think that they finally learned their lesson from watching Disney and Marvel kind of beat everybody down. And, I mean, Discovery had the quality, so I think that this one's gonna have I'm, I'm hoping they'll be able to keep it up I mean they're, they're gonna have to split their production team so that might actually help a little bit too instead of uh, three episodes are done by this part of our team and then three episodes by this part so that one season kind of jumps around a little bit in quality you're gonna have a dedicated team that's working on all 13 episodes so there'll be like a, a, a flow that's consistent that would mm -hmm. be nice and if they get yeah. the right team on the right show to match the right flow it could be awesome. It could be horrible. It could be awesome. Everybody's going to think it's horrible because we're fans, and that's what we do. Right. But, but I think it's going to be good. Yeah, I'm excited to see what happens. I, I personally want there to be Trek 24-7, you know, 365 days a year. I would love that, as long as the quality is, is good. Uh, and I, I really have been looking forward to that Picard series. That's something I've wanted to hear since 2002. That makes me happy. As long as there are no Borg anywhere in sight, we're good to go. <laughs> I actually think, I, I think it would be fun to see modern Borg, uh, a, like a new take on the Borg. I think that would be fun, and that's something that the people behind Discovery, uh, like the the makeup and costumes that they've been they've talked about wanting to do. So maybe that was a hint that we'll see some modern Borg in Destiny or uh, Reliant. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, I don't know what I want from Reliant. Everybody seems to think Reliant is going to be the one that's going to feature uh, Jean-Luc Picard. Con. Oh, I was going to say Khan just because, uh, you know, the USS Reliant. Yeah, but he only yes. had that ship for about five minutes, yeah. and it didn't yeah, I don't see well, how they could right? do a series. Yeah. yeah. You know how it begins, you know how it ends. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I read the book, The the, the Rise and Fall of yeah. John Nunez yeah. Singh. Those, those were fantastic reads, and it yep. was neat the way they took contemporary history and added the whole layer where all the eugenics war stuff was basically every 
New World Order, Illuminati, conspiracy. Yeah, it turns out that's really what's going on, and it's all the genetic <laughs> Superman doing it. I love yeah. that. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I, I don't want them to do a con series. I mean, fans keep asking for more con, and that's what gave yeah. us Into Darkness. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and Into Darkness was... Into Darkness offended me on so many levels, and if we can, if we're, I don't know if we're getting into that later, but it, it's weird. I loved the cast. Mm -hmm. I hated the story. Yeah. It just, it, it was like, you may as well just stab me in the heart with it. And I could see, <laughs> I mean, a lot of people go off on it and say um, it was just a complete direct ripoff of uh, Wrath of Khan. They just did a remake of Wrath of Khan right down, and it's like, I can see that it wasn't meant to be a ripoff. It was supposed to be an homage. Yeah. They just royally screwed the pooch. Yeah, and makes me wonder what dictionary they were looking at for their definition of homage because it was, oh man, especially as you know, someone my age who grew up with the original release of The Wrath of Khan, and yeah. you got to see that this was this was like the. Not it's, it wasn't even the mirror universe Wrath of Khan. It was just like some blurred copy that you sat on Xerox and copied it five times, and then the mirror universe version of that. It was just <laughs> acting was good. The script was just horrible to me. Yeah, and the other the yeah. other thing that bothered me is they um, they really kind of took away from the emotional impact of the actual scene. It might have worked if they yeah. hadn't put Chekhov in peril at the same time, because. Mm -hmm. I'll be honest, nobody really cared too much about Chekhov in the original series. He was basically the red shirt that lived. Right. <laughs> it was his job to get smacked around every episode. Um, but when you watch these movies, the moment Kirk says, Mr. Chekhov, put on a red shirt, you spend the rest of the movie going, no, no, they're not going to kill him? Maybe. No. And you're worried. You care about Chekhov. Right. You know, all due respect to Mr. Koenig, he's a great actor, but Anton Yelchin really made you care for Chekhov, and they put him in peril, which took away attention from Kirk and Spock's thing. Yeah, I can. I agree with that. Shall we uh, move on to the uh, question of the week, some trivia? Uh, so in Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, what is the name of the character that helps Kirk and McCoy escape from Rurapenthe? Was it A, Mon, B, Martia, C, Martha, D, as it were? And uh, you don't need an answer now. We'll always come back to it at the end. Shall we, uh, do you have any ideas? Yes, I know this one. Okay. Vernon? I think I know this one too. Okay. All right, and we'll come back to it later. I don't know is how you came up with one of those as the possible answers, but the other three <laughs> make sense. <laughs> I was hoping that you would say that. Uh, all right, so let's get to the interview. So how did you get called to Unity? Well, um, I'd been following the, uh, the the fan film community for, you know, about four or five years now. And uh, I've just sort of been lurking on the fringes of it. And I just, I honestly just happened to see Adam's uh, post uh, looking for actors. I'm, I'm trying to actually remember the exact sequence of events on it. But I reached out to him, and uh, he was uh, gracious enough to let me audition. And then the rest is, you know, Jim Hadar number one. <laughs> and then and later on, I, I get to play a Klingon, which I'm looking forward to. Yeah, so Vernon, Vernon's multi-talented. He, he's voicing different characters for me. 
on my audio drama, A Call to Unity. Uh, it's been really nice having him. He's been doing a good job. So thank you. It's gracious of you to say thank you. I, I, <laughs> so, I, really, I really like the script. I like. I, I wish I had the opportunity to interact with the cast more uh, online. Mm -hmm. I, I don't have that much because I'm, I'm used to having that with some other shows I've done. But I really, uh, I really like the story, and I can't wait to see the whole thing develop. Me too. <laughs> yeah, sure. So uh, how did you first discover Star Trek? How did you first get into it? Oh, Lord. This is like Grandpa on the, on the porch in the rocking chair. Um, <laughs> I'm 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 about 48 years old, so I I actually I didn't grow up when the original series was on CBS, but I, I certainly got to see it in reruns every morning on uh, on Sunday, and these were on the old TVs that only had like you know 11 channels, and your dad had to have you sit on them and turn the channel because you were his remote. So <laughs> I, I I got to grow up on those and and see them that way. And then, of course, uh, Star Trek The Motion Picture came out. And that, you know, I was, I was a nerd kid at that time. I loved it, even though it was not obviously the flashbang that The Wrath of Khan and the later successful movies ended up being having. But uh, that's, that's sort of really how I got into Trek, uh, early, on with the early on with it and watching it and enjoying it as a kid. I was a nerd uh, growing up, and so that's, that was the audience, really. And I, I don't use that term pejoratively. You know, I, I, I own that as a badge of honor. And so I, I was watching those growing up uh, with my friends. We played Dungeons and Dragons. We watched Star Trek. We did all that stuff. And that was that was my life growing up. Uh, Star Trek, Star Wars, the uh, you know, it, it was a fun time to be a, a kid back then with all those uh, those new things coming out. Mm -hmm. So what's your favorite Star Trek show or film? Oh, wow. Uh, most of my favorites are probably from the uh, the original cast movies. Mm -hmm. uh, the uh, the even ones two four and six uh, the wrath of Khan is just pitch perfect to me and I and I've read the stories about how it all came about they took all the best ideas and put them together but it was also how they put them together that what that that had that had some that had some good acting in it it, it was just action you've got you've got the two most over actors in the world Ricardo Montalban and William Shatner chewing up each other's scenery it is it's it's just wonderful to watch. The, that movie alone has so many quotable lines in it today. It's just wonderful. And then the voyage home was 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 funny. I, I actually got to get some of my non-nerd uh, friends to go with me to that one, and we laughed at that. And then the undiscovered country, which was a a really nice. Uh, you know, it seemed like it was going to be the end of the the uh, the end for the original cast, and then of course we got generations. So there was that was the bridge one, um, but yeah. Uh, I, I love those uh, original movies, and I still like, you know, even some of the odd ones. The um, the search for Spock, which was deserves more credit than I think it deserves. Uh, mm -hmm. Michelle ne Nimoy, who directed that, gave a lot of the other cast members some some much needed screen time. You got to see Sulu uh, be a, you know really put people in his place. You got you got to see Chekhov and Uhura do things. It was so nice seeing them do that. So yeah, I I really like the original movies. Um, the next generation ones, they were okay. They, you know, you know, generations was was basically um, a feature length uh, TV episode. Mm -hmm. And then you, even when you got into the movies, you know, first contact, you know, first contact was okay. Um, wow, <laughs> just okay. Well, wow. again, I'm I'm a nerd, and that's because my image of Zephram Cochran was formed by the book Star Trek Federation. Mm -hmm. I, uh, I, 
oh, I wish I could remember the author of that. But that's that's the that's the one where Kirk is an admiral. He it starts out with him at the Guardian of Forever, you know, getting ready to get on the um, the Enterprise B right before the beginning of Generations, and he's like musing, you know, what he's done with his life, and it flashes back to the whole history of the Federation through Cochrane during the um, the the late wars and the and the meeting the Vulcans and it's it's a that to me is the quintessential story of Zephram Cochran because it played so well into uh, you know what you see when that you get to the um, the original series uh, episode that he premieres in I'm afraid I, my name the name's escaping me at the moment but that that's my image of Zephram Cochran and again. The actors in it are great. You can't um, James Cromwell. You can't argue with him as an actor. Mm-hmm. But just the story was not there for me in terms of Zephram Cochran and, and and all of that. Because I couldn't see how that guy got to the Zephram Cochran we saw in the original series episode. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it was fine on its own merits, but it was not. It, it did not work for me as a, 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 a fitting into the continuity. And then when you got into Star Trek Resurrection, excuse me, Insurrection, mm-hmm. I just sort of started tuning out at that point. Yeah. So I like oh, how they did the Zephram Cochran because to me it, it made him stand out as a he was a, a metaphor for Gene Roddenberry. Mm-hmm. Because what we had seen on the original series and what was written about in uh, Federation was the the idealized dream. And yeah, Roddenberry sort of became that because he was alive when the myth was born. So he kind of did epitomize that idealized standard. But in reality, he was just a guy. Yeah. So in a lot of ways, seeing, I mean, and and having a guy from the future show up and tell Zephram Cochran, you will be a great man, you know, that kind of helps see how he got to be the way he was later when he became that ideal he started living his own legend that's an interesting metaphor i I hadn't put it together that way um to me uh you know if someone tells me i you know it's like the terminator thing you know they're coming back and saying john connor you're gonna be the hero of the resistance okay i must be the hero of the resistance therefore i have to be a hero it's like it's almost taking your destiny out of your own hands yeah but but, you know as i said the story if you look at it in and of itself it does work like i said i was spoiled because of the book i had read not necessarily because of the uh, any merits or demerits of the movie itself so I just want to point out that Federation uh, is written by Judith and Garfield Reeves Stevens. Yes. Uh, they also wrote the co-authored those books with William Shatner, where Kirk returns and comes back to life after generations. And mm-hmm. the, uh, the second best writers of all the Star Trek novels. Yeah, I can believe that. I I don't mean to insult them, but, but I, I make them number two. My number one slot still goes to Diane Duane. I'm sorry. Yeah. Go go read those. That's what I had as a kid was those big hardcover editions. You know, Spock's World. That was the first big Star Trek novel I read, and it's like there's Did, She wrote Dark Mirror, didn't she? She wrote like twenty or thirty. Yeah, I think yeah. that was one of them. Yeah, and it's like I've never read one that was bad from her. Yeah. So how about we move on? Next question. Sorry. <laughs> uh, that's oh, that's okay. I just have an agenda, and I want to get through it. Uh, so, Vernon, uh, have you been watching Discovery? 
I have not. Mostly because I don't have CBS All Access. But I just, yeah. I just, I haven't had the, and maybe this makes me a heretic, so be it. I just, I haven't had the, the itch that it, that it would scratch. It just doesn't, it just doesn't grab me. Um, and maybe part of it's because, as I've heard later on, they've, they've started to rely heavy on the mirror universe. And I've, it seems like that's been the trope lately. You, we got to have mirror versions for everything. We had, we had like four or five mirror uh, Deep Space Nine episodes, and I realize Deep Space Nine is older, but we, we had, I think we had Mirror and Enterprise, if I remember right. Yeah. Now we've got Mirror here, and it's just, it, it's, it's turning into the, the, the alternate time travel trope in Star Trek. You know, instead of slingshotting around the sun, we're going into another universe, and it's, it's, just hasn't Getting grabbed. Out. Yeah. 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 So what what I uh, read was that uh, originally uh, the mirror universe thing was going to be like very temporary, like maybe like I think one episode, mm -hmm. and then uh, what it was Brian Fuller, right? That was the original like uh, showrunner, mm -hmm. I think for Discovery. So when he left, uh, they said, "Oh, let's you know let's do more mirror universe." Uh, but in this case, I think they did it really well. Um, it's pretty cool. Okay. So I think yeah, um, Discovery is worth watching. It's going to come out on DVD and Blu-ray in November. Oh, that's well, right. That will be we my should friend. have mentioned that in the news, too, shouldn't we? Oops. Yeah. <laughs> oh, now I've mentioned <laughs> um, it. There you go. Yeah, it's um, Enterprise. Enterprise had some great episodes. But yeah. it also just did so much fan service that it got annoying. I mean, hey, let's have the Borg show up because fans like the Borg. Let's have the Ferengi show up. Let's do a Mirror Universe episode. And the Mirror Universe episode was really well done. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, it just it wasn't there for Enterprise. It was, it was fan service -y, And it just came off as disjointed, out of place. Yeah. Um, Discovery does better as making it more than just an out-of-place gimmick. And, and they did the Mirror Universe rather well. There, there's a lot of stuff I wish they had done more of. And, but there's also a lot of stuff that's worth checking out. Episode 3, when uh, Mike Burnham breaks out with the Vulcan Krav Maga. I mean, that's one thing I'm liking about this show. I mean, the original Star Trek gave us Kirk Fu, which <laughs> was, was yes. a neat mix of, of brawling and judo. And it, it, it defined the fact that the Federation can mix it up in hand-to-hand -hand combat. And later shows came out and they would have hand-to-hand -hand combat but it was so lame i mean kirk fu looked cooler than what <laughs> Riker. Riker had that yes you know, this this was Riker. That, that that's all he did every time and later star treks they they added the gem hadar that had melee weapons they added the klingons but the fighting always came off so Weak and 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 it, it was missing something. Where when cheesy 1960s Kirk Fu is some of the best hand-to-hand -hand combat you're going to see in Star Trek, you're not doing it right. But yeah. Discovery gets that part better. They, they Kirk had, Fu is not a high bar to clear, and and they never did. No, they like, never did. I mean, I don't know what they call the Vulcan martial arts that Mike Burnham uses when she gets into her first fight. But it, it's Krav Maga. That, that's what it looks like to me. I'm, I'm not a martial arts guy. I'm a, a, a fat Trekkie sitting in my little isolated... I'm in, in my mom's basement 
It's not a basement, it's a man cave. But, no, I mean, I don't know martial arts, but I watch a ton of movies. And it looks mm-hmm. like, it looks like I, I call it Vulcan Krav Maga because that's what it looks like. It's one of the more uh, efficient forms of martial arts that doesn't waste a lot of time. Yeah. So it's called Sus Mana. See, they even... She... Like, uh, the name is even close. Well, and also, T'Pol uses it in Enterprise, and they brought it in for Michael for uh, Discovery. I'm just looking at, at uh, Memory Alpha right now. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, it's like, it's really sad. I mean, this is, this is some of the... I, I know Star Trek's not an action series, per se, but some of the best hand-to-hand fighting is on Discovery. And the second best is, and I, I, I'm, I, I cringe to say it, but when The Rock beat on Seven of Nine. <laughs> when your best melee comp... I mean, if you think about the history of the franchise, I mean, and basically he gave her the people's elbow. He did The Rock bottom. He was pulling his wrestling moves at that point because he was almost being an actor, but not quite there yet. And it was another fan service gimmick, but, you know, that sort of almost cleared the bar for Kirk Fu. This, this one definitely. Discovery definitely clears the bar past Kirk Fu. Finally. <laughs> so how about uh, move on to the next question here. We're going to get into talking about fan films, since uh, this is a, a fan film, fan productions podcast. <laughs> so, Vernon, uh, do you have a favorite fan film? Wow. Um, I don't have a favorite fan film. I've, um, you know, I've only, I've only really been involved with fan films, and that was just when I first started being exposed to them uh, since about 2014. Uh, I, uh, I uh, watched and backed a couple, of, uh, a couple of them at the time, Star Trek Continues, Prelude to Axanar, and both of those really floored me in terms of what you could do these days with um, with, with your with a home computer. Now I'm I'm a technologist. I, I do programming uh, for uh, I do programming for uh, local government here. So well, don't hold that against me. But uh, <laughs> but I've always had a I've always had a gra- I've always felt like I've had a grasp for what you know you can do in the in the home with technology. And I was absolutely floored with the the quality of the effects. I mean, on both episodes, everything was seemed for both shows rather, everything seemed pitch perfect to me in terms of the style and and what you could do with it. So I guess if I've got favorites, it's going to be those. Um I haven't watched all of the uh, continues episodes yet. I I've I've, uh, I've spot checked a few of them, but I really need to sit down over the course of a day and just power my way through them. Um I've I've looked at a few of them. I I've watched probably more of a fairest of them all. Uh Speaking of mirror universes, because I really like how they uh, how they how they continued the story and how they uh, made the um, it just even made the original Enterprise and the look and feel uh, reminiscent of the original series. Mm. But uh, I, I guess if you call if you're gonna if we're gonna have favorites, it'll be the the two I first started with. Uh, nothing nothing has been I I, I don't want to say anything has been worse than that and nothing. So. Uh, I guess that's a that's a good benchmark. Uh, I started high and I haven't gotten any lower. <laughs> Bill, do you have any follow-up questions? Uh, yeah. Um, now that you've uh, gotten your feet wet making fan films, at least as far as doing this first audio drama, uh, yeah. You have any plans on? Well, I, I know you're going to be working on future episodes for for Adam. Right. Um, has it? Uh, 
giving you the acting bug? Or you do you want to start looking for more projects to get involved in? Is there a personal oh. project you'd like to make your own fan film of? Oh wow, um, I there's some I would absolutely love to produce. I don't have the money or the time for them. Um, I I have a background in theater and and uh, and voice acting, although not professionally. So I I'm absolutely looking for more projects to be involved in as an actor. Um, I have a uh, I have a face for voice uh, voiceover, so that works very well for me. Um, I just I just don't have the physicality for to actually be a, be in a film. You know, you're, they're looking for people who are far more uh, body sculpted than I am. Um, so, have but you as- seen the fans? I don't <laughs> think you're in trouble. Hold on a sec. Let me. Uh... I I. <laughs> that's that's a great filter you've got on that cam. It's very slimming. Yeah, from the neck up, it's like as long as you don't don't film the bottom two hundred pounds, I look great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's that's why I'm wearing a black turtleneck today in Illinois because it, it sure as hell isn't because of the weather. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, no, I'm all, I love doing a, a voiceover and, and um, audio dramas and stuff like that. So I'm absolutely looking for more projects. You know, I've idly considered, you know, what I would do if I was uh, if I was ever to produce my own fan film. I don't have any original ideas necessarily. Like, oh, what if we, you know, what if the, you know, we took the Borg and introduced them to the Breen? I don't know. But beyond beyond alliteration, I don't know what that would do for us. That would be boring. <laughs> Yeah, but I'm sorry. Uh, sorry, sorry. I, I, should... oh no. I wish I'd have thought of that. I'm sorry. I'm not. I'm not intentionally raining on your parade. I'm just. Oh, oh no, not at all. To me, I had to do. It. I had to say it. You know, if if I if uh if I had the ability to adapt something that's existing, you know, uh, you know, the aforementioned Federation, which would really be a uh, more of an epic length thing. I mean, that's on the that's on par with War and Peace in terms of a film that you would make. Uh, but even you know even some of the uh, original series, one of the uh, original novels rather, uh, one of my one of my favorite ones I believe was done by Diane Carey, the um, uh, Dreadnought and then Battle Stations. Uh, that actually they actually featured the um, the the original series crew, but almost on the periphery. You had totally new characters in that. That those would make an excellent fan film adaptation. I love, in my opinion. love that I love that story. Just just when she beats the Kobayashi Maru. I know, she, I know. Like, she like beat it without cheating, so she basically broke the simulator. Yes, that was what was brilliant about it. It was, I mean, of course, everybody has seen the Wrath of Khan by that point. Yeah. So you know how you know Kirk cheated, but this is that was the legitimate way to do it, and it's just just watching Piper um, navigate through that story and how and in, in battle stations how she broke Spock's programming, uh, the way she did that in the story. It's just that would make an excellent fan film. So yeah, I mean, if I had my druthers, that's something like that I would like to do. Um, which it, it's, it's almost like a fan film in novel form because it's you're dealing with characters that nobody had met up to that point. And, but it's involved in the Star Trek universe. You see how it connects. The original crew can be involved, but on the periphery. And that that's almost a, a, that's a really good fan film concept there. Um, so that, if I had a project idea, some, that would be one of the ones I would love to do. So, besides a call to unity, what other projects are you part of, both in and out of Star Trek? Okay. Um, wow. I, I've only other done one uh, Star Trek audio drama uh, before this. It was called Star Trek Tales from the Border. 
Uh, it was written by a guy named Richard Paul over in uh, over in the UK. Uh, really nice guy, funny guy. He was the guy who actually gave me my first uh, my first start in in voice acting when I decided I wanted to do it. This is probably back in 20, 2012, 2013. He was producing another fan series uh, based on the Wing Commander franchise, Wing Commander Defiant Few. And I got to play um, the Kilrathi in that, which is basically a cross between a Klingon and a Bengal tiger. And uh, talk about trying to find the voice for that. You know, you've got, you've got to do the voice for that right, otherwise you're tearing up your throat. Yeah. Uh, but I managed to do it. And I had so much fun doing that. It's like, you know, why, why, why am I not doing this? And um, I guess I need to back up for just a second. I, I got my Bachelor of Arts in acting in college. And I actually toured, uh, you know, for a while when I was first starting out. So I've, I've got a, I've got training as an actor. I don't have any training specifically in voice, although as a voice actor, although that's something we learned a little bit in college was, you know, how to do different voices. So I've got, I've got a background for that. So I've always had a bit of an acting bug. And of course, this is why I'm doing computer programming now. Um, <laughs> now, now I, I've got to ask you because I've, sure. uh, I've always avoided being on stage, but I've done tech work, and I know that there's a lot involved, even with the voice. When you're doing a stage production, there's a lot of uh, because you have to project. Oh yeah, and you really got to emote. And for voice acting work, the microphone, you know, it's like here's your microphone. It's right here next yep. to you, and if you project you're going to blow out somebody's eardrums. Oh, um, right. Do you just do you just adjust the gain on your mic so it barely picks you up so you can project or have you had to modify how you act? I I've had to modify I'm sorry, I've had to modify how I act. Uh, one of the things in in my training when I when I was in college is we got to work in a lot of different um, environments. I've been in the big amphitheater where you've got tons of rows behind you. And then we also had a, a what we call a black box theater. It's a small, intimate setting, maybe less than 100 people in the audience. And so you were a lot closer to them. So you're not doing the big projecting at that point unless the role you're doing happens to be loud and you're blowing out the eardrums of your audience. Um, but so you got you got the exposure to the different environments. And, you, and the, the nice thing about that was you had to learn to convey the same acting, the same character under completely different circumstances. One in where you're big because, and one in where you're in a smaller environment. Because the other thing in the, in the small black box environment is, is from, in, from, in terms of stage, is you know, the gestures and movements that you make there are not gonna read in a huge 500, 600 person theater. They just can't, they're not gonna get the subtlety um, or the nuance of, of any physicality you're doing at that point. So you sort of you learn how to you, you learn how to adapt to the environment that you're working in. Big broad gestures that work on stage uh, on a huge stage don't necessarily work when you're in a smaller environment. Same thing with the microphone in front of you. Um, one of the things I, I knew intellectually, but I don't think I I didn't truly understand until I was doing it more often is if you're doing voice acting right, you want to be moving around. You know, it's not just sitting there in a chair or whatever. I mean, because you have to convey the same intentions, the same emotion, the same whatever, just when you're talking into the microphone. That was the next thing uh, I, I don't was going to ask you. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know if you've seen any of the um, the Lord of the Rings extended edition uh, vignettes. <laughs> There's some good ones in there with Andy Serkis and how he originally started out. And he was just, 
you know, he was doing the voice of Gollum, and they originally thought he was gonna, they were just gonna totally CGI him. And but as they learned when during the filming of that, he was physicalizing the whole character, and that's the, then they evolved into the mocap idea for that, and the rest is history. But that's that's what you're doing here. When I'm doing when I was doing the um, the lines for Jerok, the Klingon for a call to unity. I'm wanting to get up and move around because, you know, Klingon, there are no shy retiring Klingons, especially those like Captain Starships. You can't sit there and do that kind of voice without having the energy behind it because the audience will pick up on that every time, every time. So, yeah, you're wanting to move around. You're wanting to physicalize. You guys should, um, the next time you're recording lines or whatever for the next episode of Call to Unity, uh, turn your webcam on. Oh. <laughs> and then as, as teasers, you can just throw some of that on YouTube so that people will see. You know, I will kill you for this, you Federation patak. <laughs> or whatever the line is. You know, and it'll show you. Uh, uh, you know, and, and it, nice little hook to kind of draw people in. Oh, yeah. Well, and one of the nice things for me is, you know, I, I'm aware of the camera. And I'm, I'm also aware of my pitfalls with the camera. And if I've got a camera in front of me, I know subconsciously I'm performing towards that. So another nice thing about the voice acting is I'm not performing for anybody but me in terms of my physicality. So yeah, that you're right. That would be cool to do. But I'm, I also want, I got to be aware of myself when I'm doing that. I, I'm, I'm, I'm certainly aware of my foibles. But yeah, so I, I might look like a complete idiot while I'm doing this. But when you listen to it, you're going to get the physicality and the motion in, in my voice, hopefully. So let's, uh, let's switch gears a little bit and uh, talk about uh, the guidelines, fan oh, film yeah. guidelines. <laughs> uh, do you see the, these guidelines as a hindrance to fan films or as something that helps them maybe it helps fan film creators well this is this is from the perspective of a guy who hasn't made a single fan film so it, you know those of you playing the at-home game take that for what it's worth <laughs> um and I, and also i'm someone who really wanted the guidelines just just for me i like to know what boundaries are yeah so because then i know what i can what i can work within i i hate the guidelines I really do. Um, I hate them, not necessarily in and for them in and of themselves. I hate them because you could follow every single one of them and still get sued. You could ignore all of them and you're fine, which because they are enforced or not based on based on Paramount's, you know, whether or not somebody wakes up from a scotch hangover instead of a vodka hangover. Uh, I mean, really, it's by whim and. And you, t you, when you want certainty, that you know that is the only thing worse than not knowing what your boundaries are is seeing boundaries and having them selectively enforced, because you don't because that's 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 worse. It's like, well, this is what they say I can do, but it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. I was when I was hoping for fan guidelines, um, what I had in mind uh, for them was something much like what um, I'm going to change gears for just a second what Wizards of the Coast did when they did the open gaming license for Dungeons & Dragons. I don't know how many people are familiar with that. Um, prior to that, um, the, the old company that made uh, Dungeons & Dragons, TSR, was, was very litigious. They went after everybody who made something that said Dungeons & Dragons compatible, which was horrible when you're trying to build a hobby, when you're trying to build an industry and get people interested in it. Anything that gets them 
to, interested in your product really have, is good. And so they were suing the very people that were helping broaden their, their fan base. Ring any bells. Um, so what Wizards of the Coast did after they purchased TSR was they did something that you know people had wanted, but I don't think there was an active movement for at the time until you suddenly heard about it, and that was the open gaming license. They licensed out the core rules for Dungeons & Dragons to that any publisher could make adventures for, rules for, um, settings for, whatever. And the hobby exploded. And yeah, you had crap publishers out there. You, and you had excellent ones. And the interesting thing you see now is some of those publishers who started making their those third-party products at the time are now the ones working at Wizards of the Coast doing... Dungeons and Dragons Fifth Edition, so it it, it was a so phenomenal. What was that? So they're the ones to blame for Fifth Edition. <laughs> Not just Sorry. them. You know, Wizards was bought by Hasbro, and there, there's a whole. Oh. You know, you can blame Hasbro for Fourth Edition, and that that's a whole other <laughs> podcast, I'm sure. Um, but what you got was an explosion of creativity, and with the with the open gaming license, you had clearly delineated boundaries what you could do what you couldn't do. And there was a lot of creativity within that. That Something like that was what I was hoping for for the fan film guidelines. Mm -hmm. You know, something that says, this is what you can do, this is what you can't do. Within that, within this framework, knock yourself out. Not, this is what you can do, but even if you do it, we might sue you, and you can't do any of this, but if you ignore some of it, we'll let you alone. You know, you'll know when you've gone too far when you get the letter from our lawyer. And it's like, that's no way to run a fan base. <laughs> That's that's, that's that's kicking the very people who are trying to broaden your hobby. Um, and I'm sorry, I, I, I have opinions about this. No, and I, and that's I, okay. And, and there's and there's reasonable opinions on the either side of this on the other side of this argument. I just that's the thing. It's like this is you're probably the first person who's had that specific complaint. Yeah. I mean, that's a pretty. Uh, I don't know if it's a unique perspective, but it's definitely unique to me because I haven't heard that one before. And I mean, I get where you're coming from, but I mean, I, I sort of, I am on the other side of that. It's like, I understand where they're coming from. I mean, they had fan films going for 15, 20 years with no guidelines. It was just, you guys generally know what you should and shouldn't do. Don't do it, and you're okay. And then things happened, and everybody wants to be a little bit bigger, a little bit fancier. Oh, yeah. And, and it got to a point where making a fan film really was turning into a business and it wasn't a fan film anymore so I get that they wanted to just like it's like they threw up a big red flag to everybody saying it's not your business don't make it a business yeah and and but they don't want to have to run fan films they don't want right. to have to regulate them well and nor does wizards of, did wizards of the coast regulate third party uh, products beyond what was governed by the by the open uh, gaming license. They didn't have a, a dedicated uh, you know office to um, looking over every single product. But you had you had certain requirements. You had to say this product is compatible with third edition Dungeons and Dragons and requires the use of this this and this. You know, very something very you know analogous to that could be the blurb that you see in some front of some fan films. This is a fan production not authorized. You know, you see it in other fan films. There, there's easy ways to to um, avoid, you know, if Paramount's worried about, like, you know, dilution or people con confusing a fan production with an official uh, 
Star Trek release. There are so many less onerous ways to avoid that than the extent that they took to do that. And it, it was almost like, you want fan film guidelines? We're going to make you wish you never had them in the first place because we're going to make them so asinine and, and arbitrarily enforced. Um, or, no, perhaps arbitrary is the wrong word, just selectively enforced. Yeah. You know, that it, that you're going to wish you never had them. And, you know, I, I have two children on the autism spectrum. And, again, I'm, I'm changing gears for a second. And so what they need is, you know, th- you know, they need things explained to them. You can do this, you can't do this, and like most kids do. But relying on, you know, common knowledge, quote, unquote, relying on subjective Everybody, you know, you know what you shouldn't do. Well, no, maybe I don't know what I shouldn't do, and and it's 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 too vague. It's too subjective. You know, what one person thinks is perfectly acceptable, another person thinks is you know that's going too far. And you you need guidelines when you. Or I say guidelines. You need clear boundaries when you're doing something like this. I, the the term guideline really actually is the best descriptor of it because it's just a guide. You could follow everything, you could follow nothing, and you still don't know what's going to happen to you. And I, get, I, and I don't like that. I get the feeling, even though they didn't say it, uh, based on what was going down when it came out and the way mm-hmm. some of these rules are specifically worded, these guidelines were specifically tailor-made, aimed at one fan film. Right. And was... That's- definitely crossing the line yeah and it's not right that it got thrown on everybody but at the same time that one particular fan film it kind of like it was almost like they had a checklist what can we do wrong and they did it wrong it's like they started out with good intentions but um call it scope creep call it whatever they just they went down the list of what you're not supposed to do and everybody was saying this you shouldn't do this and it ended up getting out of hand. It was crazy. All this came down. And mm-hmm. I really get the feeling those rules were aimed at stopping one specific film, but it got kind of splashed onto everybody, which is why they're trying to be selectively enforcing it, because they didn't want it to splash on everybody, even though it did. Right. And you, you may be right about that. But if so, you know, they were, they had, they were, there were ways of remedying, remedying that, which they took, you know, they, they initiated litigation. They could have very easily made the, what became the fan film guidelines, the conditions that solely apply to that particular production. And they didn't, they made it, they did it for everybody. So, and I don't know if they did it just because, okay, these guys went too far. So let's make sure if if anybody if anybody ever thinks about going too far, we won't let them. But then yeah, you've there's... got the wink and the nod that occurs for for some productions. Well, okay, you hired this professional actor, but you did everything else right. We'll let it slide. Yeah, there, you know, there's just... some more behind the scenes stuff I could say off the record about why oh, the sure. guidelines looked the way they looked and and why they got released publicly the way they were and why they weren't just aimed at that one production. But that's all sure. like. Let's not stir that pot. <laughs> See, me personally, I like the guidelines because the thing I like most about Star Trek is if you lock Captain Kirk in a room with nothing but a communicator, he's going to take that communicator and he's going to build a, a, a pair of rocket boots out of it. And Are we talking Kirk or MacGyver? It's a little of both. <laughs> I mean, if you watch Star Trek, it's like, 
how did how did they defeat the Borg the first time they ran into them? They didn't use weapons. They used a radio. Yeah. They used a radio. You know, uh, yeah. when 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 they need to break out of a jail cell, they used their little. Um, somebody put a pet chip on Spock. They microchipped Spock and Kirk, and he pulled that chip out and used it to build a freaking phaser beam out of a light bulb. Yeah. You know, I mean. That's true. Star Trek has always done that they've they've been paying an homage to MacGyver before MacGyver was even doing MacGyver. And that is true. and I like the guidelines as sort of an opportunity to oh you can't use this this and this and it's like all you can use is this this and this. Well you give me this this and this, I'm going to add a paperclip and uh, we're going to film on location from SETI Alpha 5 because you know, we're trekkies. We we're clever. Yeah. We'll figure out ways to do what we want to do. For fifty dollars and a wad of gum, and I, I like the fact that yes, it is very, very challenging now, and it makes things harder, and it's a pain in the neck sometimes. But I, I'm hoping the fans will embrace the challenge. It's like it's time to MacGyver up. It's time to make that bamboo cannon. Well, and you know, as I said, with that black box theater experience I have, I've seen what you can do on stage with fifty bucks and a paperclip. Um, you can put on some pretty damn compelling shows. So I, I have no doubt that within the guidelines as they stand, people can exercise creativity. I, I do not see them as limiting creativity I, necessarily. Um, I see them as, as selective, and I, and I just don't like that. And, and be, plus, if someone had the idea to do something a little bit longer, you know, if I wanted to, if if I wanted to make just for myself and maybe a few friends my own adaptation of Battle Stations or Dreadnought, um, yeah, I'm SOL on that. And that's, you know, when, when I could very easily stamp something. This is a fan production. Don't confuse it with something that you're gonna pay twenty bucks for a ticket, movie ticket, and popcorn for. Just just take it for what it is. Something by a, by a fan who enjoys Star Trek. And live it and have it at that. That they could have, they could have put some thought into it and truly made them an open fan film license. And instead, what they did was they used it as a as an excuse. And that's that uh, it's a smack somebody down. And I and that's that's truly my frustration. With a little thought, they could have adapted it for audio dramas. With a little thought, they could have adapted it for written written. Uh, fan stuff. You know, there's people out there who have written Star Trek fan fiction, some of which I've I've supported and I like the work look that I work that I see. So there's there's clearly people there who love Star Trek who are looking to in looking to you know, you have to know Star Trek in order to get Star Trek fan films. It's not like they, they exist in isolation. So you're already familiar with the franchise. You're familiar with what Paramount has done and people who are bringing others into that fold should not be kicked. They should be given guidelines or given boundaries on how they bring them in. But within that framework, bring them in because the whole community is enriched by their efforts. So not here's that I have uh, an opinion on that. Well, what was that? Sorry. I said not that I have an opinion on that. Oh. <laughs> well, here, here's a question that's a little bit less controversial. Okay. If you could meet any Star Trek character, who would they be and why? <laughs> oh. um, the Guardians of Forever. Why is that? Because 
Well, I, I guess I have to clarify that. Do I mean the one that was in the TV series or the one that was in the, uh, the original Harlan Ellison script? Uh, I'll go with the TV series because that's the official one. And just mm -hmm. because who doesn't want to talk to somebody who's seen the length and breadth of history? You know, there's, there's some coolness there. And you're not going to get the frivolity that you're going to get with Q or Trelane. You're going to get some interesting perspectives there. So I, I guess I'll start with, if you treat the Guardian Forever as a character, which it, it spoke, so I'm going to assume it's a character, then, uh, yeah, I'd like to meet the Guardian. That's really cool. Never really had thought about that. That's a good answer. <laughs> Thank you. I don't know, man. It's like, it is a good answer, but I'm sitting there thinking it's like, it's older than time and it has profound insights but you know it's just going to be speaking in riddles and you're never going to understand a damn thing it says well <laughs> i can always walk away i mean yes yeah. there is a certain oddness to talking to a concrete donut but beyond yeah. that it's you know there you know it would certainly be interesting so how about we uh, move on to bill's lightning round ah, presuming oh, that bill has a lightning round off the top of your head, Bill. See, this is a lightning round All for right. Bill as well. <laughs> lightning round for me. So you had theater training. Are you a fan? Uh, what's your favorite play? Oh, um, good grief. Uh, the uh, musical Assassins by Stephen Sondheim. Love that. Hilarious. Shouldn't be hilarious. Is hilarious. Or maybe, I just saw, maybe I just saw a bad version of it that ended up being hilarious. We, we did that in, we did that at a musical in college. Our, uh, our chairman of the department uh, re-edited some of the scenes together and it was phenomenal. I, I, I love it. It's, it's my definitive uh, interpretation of Assassins. Yeah, the, the, the version I saw, they, they played up the comedy aspects, especially Squiggy Frome and uh, What's Her Face. Yeah. And oh, they were hilarious. And, yes. Oh, the Sarah duet. The duet with uh, John Hinckley singing a love song to Jody. Yeah. While uh, Squiggy's singing to uh, yeah, I'll, I'm gonna to Charlie. To Charlie, and it's like a romantic love song duet from two crazy people who want to off a president to show their true love. I mean, it's mm -hmm. not meant to be funny, but I couldn't. I mean, but it, it is. It was. It's one of those things where you're just a little bit of. It, it's really dark. I loved it. It was great. I'm sorry. I, I should ask you oh. more questions now. It's okay. Okay. Um, all right. Now that you've done voice work, uh, favorite foreign accent to perform? Um, oh, good question. Uh, I can't do too many foreign accents, so that limits my choices. Um, I can do a Scottish accent a little bit, um, but if, we're, if, we're gonna, if I'm going to be honest, it's either going to be Klingon or Yoda. As I knew an you were going to say Klingon. I knew yeah. it. Yeah, there's a lot of similarities between Yoda and Klingon, uh, if, uh, believe it or not. Oh. At least in my throat. Okay, Can you, see, uh, now, now we have to have some uh, Klingon Yoda. Yeah, that's what I was about to ask. Much anger in him, like his father. And now I will crush you, Pata! <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was beautiful, thank you. I, I, I can segue between them. I, I love doing Yoda. Uh, I, I, I cannot <laughs> for Frank Oz to retire and uh, and just tap me on the shoulder and say, you're it. And of all the accents you've heard on... Okay, uh, let me put it to you this way. Classic Scotty and Chekhov were doing fake accents. Modern Scotty and Chekhov do fake accents. Who did it better? Uh, Duhan. You like Duhans over... I, I do. I, the I'm, guy I'm, who's I'm, actually I'm married to... Okay. Yeah, and then uh, now compare uh, Koenig and uh, Yelchin. Ooh, 
I I think Yelchin did the better Russian. Okay. I think Yelchin did. See, now it surprised me you would pick Duhan over Peg, because Peg like just basically started talking like his wife, who's actually Scottish. Well, keep in mind, I have a broader frame of reference with Duhan. I haven't seen too many of the original, um, uh, or excuse me, of the remake movies. So I, okay, okay. I've, I've seen far more of those. So I'm, I'm drawing from that sample. Um, if I decide to rewatch a whole bunch of the, uh, the, uh, re the remakes again and again, I might, my opinion might change. But yeah, one last lightning round question. Um, it's very dark, but you're wearing a Trek-ish shirt today. What's the yes. shirt? What's the shirt? This. Is this is my low-budget fan fit, uh, outfit. This is a black turtleneck, and then the uh, the, uh, the the Cochrane Delta here is uh, from the uh, the box set of uh, Star the uh, Star Trek um, remake, the the, re the original remake. I, I got the set that had the four um, four pins in it, and because I couldn't find a Star Trek shirt for today uh, that didn't have holes in it, this is what I went with. Okay, because uh, uh, earlier. When we were doing uh, Vernon's microphone test before Bill got on, uh, I was commenting that it looked uh, something straight out of Into Darkness because the turtle, the black turtleneck, the uh, you know the the emblem. It, I thought he was trying to be uh, like Khan or Kirk or something. It was yeah, very it, convincing. Yeah, this was this was the closest I could come to the Starfleet Academy um, shirt before uh, Kirk got uh, got his got captaincy. As one does when one leaves the academy, they immediately become captain of a ship. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is just this is just the first episode we've done where the cameras are rolling, and um, I don't know if we're gonna release a finished product with video and audio this time around. Oh my goodness, no. <laughs> I am so no. <laughs> I mean, in a way, it would be easier because you don't edit anything. You just throw it up there and let it sit as is. You don't have to cut together the, the pauses and stuff, and people can see us in all of our awkward glory. Make but, it bonus uh, footage. Yeah. <laughs> I'll think about it. <laughs> see, we're tempting him with the you don't have to do any editing bit. He's just that gotta, is tempting. He's just got to merge the video and audio and put it out there, and then... There is something yeah. to be said for that. <laughs> I'll think about it. <laughs> so let's go uh, back to the trivia. Sure. So uh, in Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, what is the name of the character that helps Kirk and McCoy escape Warapenthe? Was it A, Iman, B, Martia, C, Martha, D, as it Burr? I'm saying Martia. What that's, do you think, Bill? That's what I'm going with, too. You're both right. B, Martia. I believe uh, Iman is the actress who played her. Yeah, See, that, that's Iman, what I was gonna say. It's like Iman was who played her, so that's where you got A from. Yeah, Martia was the name. Martha sounds like it, so that was there to throw people off. Why <laughs> as it Burr? Where did the Green I, Lantern thing come from? Uh, well, because you know that's um, that's uh, the Klingon Chancellor uh, who who becomes Chancellor in that movie. Her father's assassinated, right? Supposedly by Kirk and McCoy, so that's her name. So I thought I would just put another female's name from that movie in there. And that's all I could think of. Oh, that was, wait, are you sure? As, wait, yeah, why was I I'll look it up Green right Lantern? Now. I thought As I, Burr was a Green, one of the aliens in the Green Lantern Corp. It, it certainly sounds like it could be. Um, let's see here, yeah. It's that's an alien from the Star Trek Green Lantern crossover series. I was wondering could if be. maybe maybe you'd heard like Iman was going to play Green Lantern in the DC Universe or something. And you were throwing that in as a bonus trivia tidbit. That would be cool, but no, I'm not that awesome. Um, I don't see anything for Green Lantern for that name. 
now where did my question go to? Oh, okay. So then, uh, yes, Martia. And the bonus question is, how many people did Martia shapeshift into? And Bill's looking up the answer right no, now. No, actually, I'm looking up that who <laughs> I'm thinking of. I'm looking up a Green Lantern thing. Okay. I'm so going to spitball and say seven. No, uh, it wasn't that many. There was there was lady form. There was big ugly dude form. And there was Kirk form. There was three. Didn't she have a couple? Didn't she have a couple? She shaped shifted into before she died. Like so, like as she was dying, or am I misremembering? No, you so, might be uh, remembering right. I. According to Memory Alpha, well, we have the Martia, you know, the, the woman uh, uh, shapeshift uh, form, and then we have the Brute, which I always thought was kind of like Sasquatch. Um, and then we have the young human girl, and then we have Kirk, and that's it. I oh, forgot. Okay. I forgot about the human girl. Yeah. Yeah, because that's how uh, she slips out of the uh, the handcuffs, the chains. And I just looked it up online. I was thinking of the alien that gave Hal Jordan the the power ring in Green yeah. Lantern. His name is Abin Sur. Oh, okay. So when you said Azit Burr, I was like Azit Burr, Abin Sur, you know. My, my that's his second. Is... That's Abin Sur's second cousin. Yeah. It's like yeah. Well, yeah. that's why the Green Lanterns don't go visiting Klingon space anymore. There we go. So uh, then I've got bonus trivia. Uh, Iman is actually the last actress to kiss William Shatner in Star Trek, according to Memory Alpha. Well, if you're gonna go out, go out with a bang. There you go. But I'm fine. Because it's Kirk. Womp, womp, womp. Well, you never. Hey, they brought back Picard. Maybe Shatner's gonna get one more go round. Hey. Wouldn't yeah. be surprised. Uh, how they're gonna do that? For a legend. Never too late for a legend. <laughs> Uh, you know, a bridge did fall on him, right? He was killed by his own bridge. Yeah. You that know, was supposed to be a joke. That would be a bridge too far. Well, there we go. Yeah, the, the punchline is, you know, all these years, Captain on the Bridge, the movie ends with a bridge on the Captain. Yeah, that was what oh. I was thinking. All right, I'm, again, I'm on a time delay. Well, you, you, you know, a lot of people don't like that death, but the more I think about it, the more I think that was the proper death for Kirk. Because, I mean... Basically, he's Captain Kirk. He's awesome. He's epic. He's a legend. So mm -hmm. first he dies saving hundreds of refugees from a space anomaly. And after that, he comes back to life to save a million more people. And he dies saving them. So it's like, in order to kill Captain Kirk, you got to kill him twice. And he's still going to save millions of people in the process. So if you're going to have a death of Captain Kirk, that's probably the way you should go with it. I would agree with that. The, the the only thing about that death that was just hokey was the end line. It was oh my. fun. Yeah. No, oh that's, yeah, it was fun. That was my cheap Shatner impersonation. <sighs> yeah, he, yeah, he says it was it was fun, and then dot dot dot. Oh my. Yeah, oh oh oh! I missed. I forgot the oh my. He yeah, pulls out a uh, Mr. Sulu. <laughs> <laughs> he oh doesn't do as well. Oh no. my. No, it's his is oh my dead. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen, for tuning in to this first episode of the new season. We hope to bring you very many more. Special thanks to our guest, Vernon Vincent. That's you. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. It's been it's been enjoyable. It's been spontaneous, and I I like it. Uh, and I can't wait for uh, more episodes of Unity to come. Start, call to Unity to come out. Uh... Me too. Thank you to Adam Mullen for putting this show together. Oh, of course. My pleasure. 
And Vernon, thank you for being uh, uh, or for voicing your, your different opinion about uh, the guidelines. We appreciate it. Well, you're very welcome. And I am Bill Allen, a.k.a. the guy in the red shirt. And literally. Literally. And this has been The Final Frontier, a Tricksphere podcast. Like and follow us on Facebook. Uh, check us out on YouTube, the iPhones, the iTunes Store, and Google Play. So that's it for this week. Uh, see you next time. And uh, remember, be excellent to each other and party on, dudes. <laughs>